Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all my baggage droppers around the world, welcome to another episode of the Drop Your Baggage Podcast with me, your host, Charles Wolfork. This is where we talk to people that are dope, that can give you hope, and teach you a technique to help you cope. And today, if you are on this, if you are listening to this podcast right now, please consider hitting the subscribe button if you're on Facebook, YouTube, or any podcast platform. And if you're on a podcast platform, give a brother five stars. I'm out here being a blessing out here and give me some feedback. I'd appreciate it. And if you're on YouTube and Facebook, thumbs up as well. Go ahead and smash that like button. Destroy that like button. That's what you can do for us today. Today, we are with the incredible Rhett Brewer. Oh my gosh, this guy is fantastic over in the UK. And before we get into how amazing he is, I want to let you guys know that this this production is brought to you by Brienne and Company. Brienne and Company is a jewelry boutique that makes durable minimalist jewelry with using genuine pearls, local shells, sea glass, natural gemstones, precious metals, and quality handcrafted designs once again that's brianna company and if you want to see her outstanding jewelry you can go to her website at briannaco.com or at on instagram at brianne and company and now ladies and gentlemen i bring to you red now red was born in New Jersey. He's been in the UK for a, a few decades, though. He's there right now. He's been a composer for modern classic music at 22 years old. That was when he had t- took his first artistic photo of a venue of the uh, called the Royal Alberta uh, Albert Hall, excuse me, and o- the oldest and biggest dedicated concert hall in central London. And then he was a part of the orchestral project called The Thaw with the Royal uh, Philharmonics. And Prince Charles used the production in a performance in the Royal Albert Hall. How outstanding is that? He's done soundtracks and then he had to make the decision. Is he gonna choose music or is he gonna choose business? So he went ahead and decided to have assets over business, got into property and real estate. And now he's currently teaching other people how to do it. And he's writing a book to help inspire other people that are in the arts, have a charity or entrepreneurs and have them look at their mindset to refocus their minds on the right mindset that they need to have in order to take big risks to do big things. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the book is going to be called Be Your Own Patron, How to Finance Your Dreams. We I bring to you Red Brewer. What's up, Red? Hey, how's it going, Charles? Absolutely outstanding. Like I told you, it was five o'clock in the morning here. It's four o'clock over there, right? Four in the afternoon. So I've got an advantage. (laughs) There's no advantage here on the Drive Your Baggage podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, one of the things that you talked about was um, talking, uh, one of the things that you talked about was having a mentor and how important a mentor was. Please let us know about your mentor and how important your mentor was. Absolutely. So mentorship for me is one of those secret sauce things where nobody told me, you know, way back when um, the value of basically not writing the whole book yourself, not reinventing the wheel, follow after someone who's taken the same path before. And then, um, you know, really a mentor can be many things, but it's, it's finding someone who effectively can fill gaps that might Uh, be there, someone who maybe um, has experience or confidence or content 
um, you know, whatever it is you need, but most importantly, in the area that you need it. And so a mentor can be someone who's an entrepreneur or someone who uh, is an educator. It can be someone who's a mindset coach. You know, there, there are many different levels. Um, but for me personally, what that's meant is having um, most recently someone in the property space who has helped my real estate journey in terms of um, developing a portfolio that can support my um, creative work and my quality of living. And so that's really been uh, an amazing uh, opportunity to just shadow someone, have someone uh, hold me accountable in terms of what I'm doing mm -hmm. um, and moving forward towards my goals. And, you know, just having that dialogue with someone who can really um, influence how quickly I've been able to turn things around. Mm, it seems as though that mentor of yours was very beneficial as far as uh, being a guide to your success that you've had in real estate, but also making sure that you don't make the same mistakes that he or she is it a, a guy or a lady. It's a guy. Yeah, yes. it's a guy who um, actually is he's, he's a quite um, well-known football star in, in the UK. And, you know, as you do, when you get to a certain point, you realize, okay, you're not going to be a football player. And when I say football, I mean soccer. Yes, you know, I, so. I know that uh, football. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's a soccer player. And, um, you know, he realized, okay, that, that runway isn't going to go forever. And so um, he moved into real estate as a way to then finance his life. He's passionate about it. Um, and that's something that I could relate to as well, because, you know, really with music um, and with many creative people, you have the, the ups and downs. So you'll have a, a windfall where you have an amazing moment. You make lots of money if you're lucky. And then there could be nothing, you know, mm -hmm. for a period of time. And meanwhile, the bills are constant. And so, you know, for me, I, that was the riddle. How do you address that? Um, you know, because it's not so straightforward, um, you know, when, when you're a creative. But using some of that creativity and applying it to um, property has allowed me to, to basically create a passive income stream, which then um, is a pipeline of money that I'm building up over a relatively short period of time to then support um, me being able to do whatever I want to do. And if it's an ambitious project, if I wanted to hire the Royal Philharmonic, I could ask them, well, how much? And I could go, for example, flip a property in order to pay the bill without having to wait for the man to come and, and sign a check. I can be the man. And, you know, it means um, taking on board education and coaching and understanding how that kind of thing uh, works. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as long as I have my uh, outcome very clearly outlined from the, the beginning. And mm -hmm. as long as I'm consistent with how I, I, you know, focus on that, that outcome as far as daily actions and, um, you know, being, being um, aligned with, with that goal, then, you know, over time that goal materializes. Amen. Amen. What type of creativity do you use um, with the, your music and then you apply it to your uh, your ventures in real estate. Absolutely. Well, I'd say 
Creatives, um, I think we, we often under, uh, underestimate ourselves in terms of thinking um, that somehow we're not um, as, as good as we can be in terms of, let's say, corporate thinking or, um, you know, Excels and spreadsheets and things, all of which are actually quite creative once you know what you're doing. Um, but when I look at application, it's been very much a thing of saying, um, if I look at a, a building and, you know, it might be run down, it might have all sorts of problems in terms of the layout, the configuration. Um, I might see something that someone else might not see. Mm -hmm. And it's training my eye to pick up on those things and then go into it with a creative mind. And it, it becomes a question of, um, textures and colors and, um, you know, combinations of things and treating it a little bit like an orchestral project in that, you know, for me, it's, it's you know, okay, who's the conductor? Who's my project manager? Uh, who's the interior designer? You know, what's she done before? Um, it's finding the right um, solicitors, lawyers in the States, um, or, you know, finding the right architects. So all of those people, a bit like an orchestra, mm -hmm. you're effectively bringing them together and then trying to move them into place along a trajectory, which is I'm going from A to B with this project. I've seen how I want that to move. Mm -hmm. And then you know, basically I'm working with that group to create a result. And so it's really the same thing um, as let's say, you know, creating a piece of music. It's just that um, it's in this case, something that's going to pay me monthly, mm -hmm. um, you know, through rental income. The, that's fascinating that you have such a vision as soon as you, like, it, does it just hit you as soon as you see it? Or does it take you a little bit of like, like maybe a little bit of time, maybe a day or two to be like, oh, I got it. And then it, you just run with it from there. Um, it, it sometimes takes days. It sometimes takes weeks. But I think what happens over time, and, and you know, that's where having a mentor is so important. It's the practical application. When you, when you practice something, mm -hmm. um, it becomes second nature. And that's where I'd say, you know, sport, as well as the arts kind of actually come together in a very similar way in that it's repetition of process mm -hmm. and finding a, a way for you to, you know, navigate through that and, and just make it work for you, you know, yes. which doesn't have to be prescribed. It doesn't have to be something that um, is the way that everyone is supposed to do it. it, it it's about how does that work for you? Mm -hmm. Finally tuning that skill. So it just becomes second nature to you. To where it, is, it also becomes like intuitive, just like someone may be on uh, the the football field, if you will, um, both proper football and uh, soccer. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> um, like there's a, a flow to it, and you can make moves and do things before um, just by seeing an inkling of what might happen, and then all of a sudden you have yourself a good play, uh, and you're helping out your teammates. It's fascinating. Um, what was your first property and how did you feel when you were going through the whole process? The honest truth is every time um, I've bought a property, I'm always slightly terrified. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, because there's, there's your instinct that says, yep, yeah, um, I think this is a good deal. Mm -hmm. 
the terror is in what's underneath, you know, what's mm-hmm. really going on. And you mm-hmm. don't know fully until you know, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you get better at knowing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, an example of that is when I first got this place, which is, you know, kind of my, my home, my, my studio. So I have all that here. But when I first bought it, um, there was this horrific kitchen platform and no one knew what was under the platform. Okay. So I bought this place thinking, is there a dead body down there? Um, <laughs> is there some sort of horrible waste pipe down there? You know, what's underneath the kitchen? And nobody knew what was under the kitchen. So literally I move in and the day that I had the keys, the first thing I did was to get a saw and to cut a hole in, in this platform so I could see what was under the kitchen. And under the kitchen was actually almost nothing. So, you know, you start realizing that luckily with Victorian houses like, like these, there's a, there's a logic to how people have tended to treat them. And once you become familiar and comfortable with the logic of what people have done, why they've done it and how they've done it, it, it reassures you in terms of, let's say, um, those, those risk factors. So that's one example. Another was when I bought my biggest um, rental development house. So, you know, it's one of those things where I thought, yeah, great idea, great investment. And it was only when the owner handed me the keys and I'm, you know, standing outside this four-story building with a set of keys, which was, you know, just ridiculous. There were like about 30 keys on this key ring. And he explained to me, okay, this is how the the boiler works. This is how the heating works. And then he says, okay, take care. Bye-bye. And I'm just sitting there thinking, oh my God, what, what have I done? You know, like, was this a mistake? Is this the worst thing that I've ever done? Am I going to die in this house? You know, like, I mean, just literally all the mortal fears come up around, you know, the what ifs. And then when you get used to the what ifs, you realize that 99.9% of them are irrational. Some degree of it has to be faith, you know, and some degree of it when you get into property development or doing anything, whether it's music or anything that, that takes money, um, is understanding that money usually fixes most problems. And so if you then kind of move through that and you say, well, um, as long as I'm confident that either I, I have the funds or I can find the funds from someone else, then it makes it um, a lot less terrifying because you know that there is ultimately a solution to the problem, which is money. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the lesson is like for, that I hear with you is to overcome the fears and an investment is an investment and you're going to need money for it. So um, whatever is wrong with it, you just got to spend the money to make sure that you do what you need to do to fix it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, you didn't start your career, of course, or you didn't start your life, of course, as um, a property owner. You started in music. Um, and you were young when you had major success. Well, no, you were young when you started envisioning things, but you had major success when you uh, started with Fathal. Can you uh, tell me, can you tell us or tell them the stories of the thaw like you told me? Yeah, sure. So 
The thaw, um, you know, I, I, I find it a really um, beautiful story just mm-hmm. to share, because if you'd asked me 10 years ago, would I have been able to do something like the thaw? I probably would have said no, because mm-hmm. it, um, it was very ambitious. It was terrifying. And I'd never done it before. Okay. So the way all this really started was that a friend of mine, um, we had a drink, we were talking about doing a creative project. He's a film director. Um, Another friend of his was an ice sculptor. And so we were talking about what could we do together in some sort of creative way. So just as you do in the UK, we started talking in the pub. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this pub talk then led to us thinking, well, what can we do with this idea of combining film eye sculpture and music. And um, I said, wouldn't it be amazing to work with an orchestra? And my friend Lucas, uh, being the bold, fearless person that he is, decided to contact uh, a Finnish orchestra, who then turned around and said, okay, we'll let you use the equivalent of the second largest um, orchestra in the country the equivalent of um, the Royal Festival Hall in London for up to two weeks. They covered our flights, our food, and other elements of this. And so from never having done it before, I then had a ticking clock, which was a year to write this music. And it was going to be premiered first on a live stage. And then after that, they also agreed to record it with me. Um, in their amazing facilities. It's the largest uh, modern concert hall in Scandinavia. So it's, you know, spectacular sound. And um, so, you know, all of this came through doing what? Asking. So, you know, we asked, they said yes. And then I had to deliver. So that was the background of it. Mm-hmm. With the, 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 you know, that concert, it went very well. Um, and we managed to then record all of this. And then I managed to get back to the UK and I, you know, I managed to do this thing where I thought, wow, great. Except now, now what do I do? And, you know, I financially put myself really on the line in order to enable all of this to happen. And so this is one of the challenges of, of, of the arts, you know, like on the one hand, I had this amazing gift. On the other hand, I had this big challenge. So in the end, I managed to, navigate the challenge, um, started recording the album, uh, The Thaw. And then along came this guy, David, who said, you know, this would be perfect for a large event a friend of mine is doing. And I thought to myself, this, when you say large event, what kind of event? And he said, well, it's a royal charity. It's a very large event. And I didn't quite believe him. So I thought, oh, right, you know, he's, he's pulling my leg. Um, I've heard it a million times. Lots of people brag about all sorts of things. Lo and behold, you know, I'm invited to this meeting with this lovely woman, Gail, from the charity, who then I still didn't believe. You know, she had um, knee length uh, purple hair. And I'm thinking, what does she have to do with, you know, first of all, Prince Charles and and the, the the royal household and second of all how realistic is this? Except that then we started having meetings 
first at Clarence House, which is his residence, and then at the Royal Albert Hall. And then it all became very real. So the big challenge was the only way logistically to do this, because how how busy the, the venue itself is, it's one of the busiest in, in the world. Mm. There's literally a new concert being moved in on the day and then moved out in, in the evening, oh was God. for us to then from 5 a.m. in the morning, start setting up the production on the stage, including an, an entire stage full of sculpted ice, <laughs> which had to be specially engineered to get it into the building. So we had to measure all of the, the hallway lengths and spaces and look at the height of the elevators. I and mean, it was literally a logistical feat. And it happened to be in July. So peak summer season where it's boiling traditionally in, in London and where we have what ice, which has to be on stage assembled and then last until the evening. Mm. So we had to create um, a special refrigeration system around the ice, uh, you know, with dry ice and, and all sorts of covers and filters and things. And this is all on top of the fact that then the first ever rehearsal that I had with the Royal Philharmonic was on the morning of the concert, okay? So the pressure, as you can imagine, was immense. Uh, another great story that happened that day was anyone who knows music, um, live performances, usually have one mixing desk, which is um, for, let's say the engineer. There's another mixing desk, which is for the artist. And that desk decided to blow up um, about an hour before the performance. The guests are arriving, you know, <laughs> you've got you've got major logistics happening. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there thinking, okay. Now here's a great side story to this is that um, for years I, I'd done little performances in pubs and all sorts of places, very, very humble. Sometimes I had, I'd have to carry my, my gear onto the stage myself. Mm -hmm. So what I didn't know at that time was all of that was training for this exact moment, because here I am in this massive arena, barely able to hear myself because I'm hearing what the audience is hearing, but I'm not hearing what I'm doing on the stage. So it sounded to me like I was doing karaoke to myself, but I had absolute trust and faith that I had the perfect engineer. Mm -hmm. I know the orchestra is doing what they need to do. And all I had to do was be precise in, you know, what I was delivering at the time in order to just make sure that it was okay. And ironically, I think it helped the performance because mm -hmm. it added a certain level of intensity. I didn't have time to be nervous because it was literally like, you know, that I'm getting, you know, the three, to one music starts and you know production launches we've had one rehearsal here we go and you know here's prince charles sitting you know at the front of the stage so you know i think part what's the moral of the story moral of the story is that everything you do um, prepares you for everything else that you can do second moral of the story is that uh, when things go wrong Actually, that's uh, a, an invitation to rise to your highest self. Mm -hmm. And number three, just because you haven't done it before, 
doesn't mean that you don't have permission to do it. It's about giving yourself permission to do it. And, you know, just believing that it's possible, even if let's say society um, baggage suggests that you don't have what it takes. Mm. Fascinating, man. Fascinating. <laughs> like just the pressure of it all, the the crazy circumstances, the, the unforeseen um, issues that showed up and for you to just make it through all of that and then make it out on top to where everyone loves it, you know, to where you look like the professional, the, the amazing artist that you are. Man, I'm so impressed, man. Congratulations on all of that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. And wanted to get right like uh back into you being a um, property owner and also you wanted to inspire others as well. Let's talk about your book, uh, Be Your Own Patron. You know, you say you're currently writing a book to help inspire other people that are in the arts like yourself, but also that have a charity or are just entrepreneurs and like take a look at their mindset and to shift their mindset so they can have a more productive and like necessarily the the right mindset. Can you talk more about your the book that you're writing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the book came about really because I realized that um, I was on a couple of clubhouse rooms, um, you know, just listening to people. And then I was invited to speak at one point about, um, you know, the arts and, and, and property, you know, and I found it just a really interesting subject. And what I came to understand in just that moment of being uh, present with, with the whole issue is that actually a lot of people struggle with this idea of how do I go from A to Z, yeah. you know, because maybe they didn't get the script, you know, maybe their family of origin didn't tell them what they needed to know in order to maybe um, exceed at or, or create the things that they really want in their lives. And so I, I started realizing that, you know, I, I was there too, and I'm still there all the time because I'm, I'm making I'm making this shit up. Excuse my French, but you know, constantly I'm making it up. Okay, mm-hmm. and so but there's an anecdote that that I like to to share, um, which is about a film called Australia. Uh, so I I went to see this film a number of years ago, and it's it's by a director named Baz Luhrmann, which a lot of people will know. You know, he's been very successful. But the reason I bring this story up is because he managed to persuade people to give him one hundred million Australian dollars to make this film, which was the most anyone had ever received to make a feature film in Australia. And I remember at the time thinking to myself, how on earth did he persuade anyone to sign that check? You know, imagine just seeing a, a, a transfer from someone's bank going into your bank account that says 100 million. So at the time I was thinking to myself, well, okay, surely he must've said something special, right? Mm. And what I realized more recently through coaching and through my own experiences is that really all business and, and arts are a business, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, really all business starts with a conversation 
understanding the other side's needs mm-hmm. and what they um, are looking for. Mm-hmm. And then once I'm able to meet that person's needs, no matter how many zeros are attached to that, that request, they are almost obliged to say yes mm-hmm. if I've met their needs. And once I understood that, it became easy to understand how he was able to do that. So he would have probably said something like, well, I have Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe attached. Whether he had them or not is a whole other story. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe he thought, you know, I'll talk to them after. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. You know, um, he probably would have said we're aiming for, you know, the biggest ever production in Australian history. Most importantly, on my last film, the budget was X and I made X profit for the production company. Mm-hmm. And so I'm anticipating on this film of making, let's say, 150 to 200 million in mm. terms of, let's say, overall numbers. And so that means I would have doubled your investment. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. where did I get this stuff? This isn't from me. This is for me shadowing and watching other people um, and then borrowing basic thinking um, that is really, you know, an opportunity for everyone to do the same thing. So Mm -hmm. how am I doing property? The truth is I'm not doing property with my own money. I'm borrowing money from investors and I'm giving them a very good return. And so you know, whether I'm borrowing 100,000 or 500,000, as long as it's a very good return, Mm -hmm. and as long as they can vet that I know what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. it then becomes something that is attractive to the right person. Mm -hmm. And so that same thinking is something I've carried into property. It's also something that can be carried into getting that first orchestra to say yes, Mm -hmm. you know, which is really... Um, you know, what am I doing? What's the vision and what's the impact? And, you know, how can I help? What's your problem and how can I help? Mm. Wow. I am so excited for that book. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to buy a copy and I would love for you to sign it. Um, and I'll, I'll pay for shipping and bring it over here. But that's going to be that's exciting to, to get a hold of just to learn those basic principles of of uh, business and looking through it through the eyes of such an amazing storyteller and a person that has so much experience uh, with it as well. It's, it's, I'm um, excited to just get my hands on it and, and start digging into it right away. Now here on the Drop Your Baggage podcast, we actually drop baggage. We, po- we talk to people that are dope, that can give you hope and teach you a technique that can help you cope. And that technique is called mental and emotional release. It is an NLP technique. Now, um, for anyone that would like to do mental and emotional release, please, 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 that's three pleasers right there. <laughs> please uh, c- consider going to a certified practitioner of neurolinguistic programming. And I am a certified trainer of neurolinguistic programming. I've been to this the third level. The, if you want to learn more about mental and emotional release, go to charleswolfwork.com and just click on the MER tag. The MER stands for mental and emotional release, or you can go to eliminatinginsecuritiesnow.com. Once again, that's eliminatinginsecuritiesnow.com. And I have a case study on mental and emotional release as well. 
and a lot more amazing information on how to do uh, do it on your own. And just for your own good, Rhett, I want to let you know that I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a social worker, or a therapist, or a counselor of any sort, um, and that I'm just an alternative to uh, working in the, um, the, the mental health space, if you will. So I say that for my lawyers. <laughs> and now you chose to get rid of the fear of not being good enough. Why did you choose that fear? I think because it's one that um, has plagued me um, a lot through, throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one that I, I struggle with sometimes, um, obviously not all the time, because you know things do happen that remind me that it's not true. However, it's there like, like a root, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's also one where hopefully I, I can, you know, um, be of service to other people by them, you know, experiencing that and maybe relating to, you know, what we do together. Amen. What's the one experience or what's one trigger where you feel or you um, get that thought of I'm not good enough and it like makes you hesitate for a second before actually taking action? I'd say um, rejection is is one of them, uh, where um, rejection or disempowerment. So, you know, rejection would be if I've, you know, let's say written to, to 10 orchestras and they all say no, um, you know, then the assumption could be that, ah, okay, I'm not good enough and that's why they've said no. Mm-hmm. Or I've gone to two or 10 potential investors and they've all said, mm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that little voice comes in and says, ah, maybe it's because you're really not good enough. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, you know, remembering all the evidence of when I have been good enough. Mm -hmm. There's this, you know, facts, things have gone well. Generally, everything goes well for me Mm -hmm. in the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, you know, those are some examples. Yeah, for sure. Those are good ones too. Um, Throughout the exercise, um, so I'll go ahead and give you an overview again. You only need to do three things. Use your imagination, follow directions, and and, um, trust the process. You said that your past was to your left, or your left and my right. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) It's not two lefts. Anyway, um, and the most important thing about this whole process is that you replaced your negative thought patterns with positive thought patterns and to go over each and every event you observe each and every event that I asked you to, to observe and to really see everyone in the event from a human aspect from a like on a spirit on a human and spirit level to where you I will I will um, repeat these mantras and these um, different principles to you and you can apply them to where it's needed so you can release that feeling or that thought pattern of I'm not good enough. And between you and me, I'll edit this part out. Take your time. Remember we got, we've, we've marked out, you know, two hours. We've only been in this for 45 minutes. Take your time, do what you need to do in order to heal. This is time for you. And I am here for you. So, and I've been on lines with people for three, four hours at one time. So please do what you need to do to go ahead and get rid of or to change your consciousness around this, uh, this, this um, negative or this limiting belief. 
and also, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be changing your uh, your consciousness around this limiting belief so you can see it through a lens or a filter of compassion and empathy and forgiveness and acceptance for yourself and others. Cool? Cool. All right. Awesome, man. Um, let's get into it. Is it all right with your unconscious mind for you to release this limiting belief of I'm not good enough today and for you to be aware of it consciously? Yes. Awesome. What is the root cause of this problem? The first event, which when disconnected, that will cause this problem to disappear. If you were to know, when was the first time that you felt as though I'm not good enough when you were a little bitty kid? think um would have been at school and being bullied um and and the backdrop of of race in in america i'd say at the time 70s um you know we think things are difficult now but you know they were more difficult then they were more difficult for our parents and grandparents Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's that backdrop Understood. Do you have a specific event in mind um, as you think about that? Probably the beginning of high school. Um, I moved from quite a a rough and ready um, town when I was about um, 13 Mm -hmm. um, to a relatively affluent white town uh, around that time Mm -hmm. and it was quite a traumatic experience because Mm -hmm. I went from being in a very black environment which had lots of problems um, but where I didn't have certain things to confront and you know one of them was uh, was race in America at the time and uh, all of a sudden I was thrown into this school environment where um, there was a lot of psychological violence, um, there was a lot of torture, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so, you know, going going from one to the other was quite jarring. Mm-hmm. And on a practical level, I, I went from being the valedictorian of my junior high school to then being in, in this new high school, taking uh, a P- PSAT at mm-hmm. the time. And I think I got something like 800 out of 1,600. Wow. Wow. Which taught me a lot out about, you know, how education in America works, because Mm -hmm. years later, obviously, I did a lot better than that. And it was because of my environment and being around people who basically were, you know, just in a a different, um, a different world, you know. And and so it, it, it taught me a lot about empathy and compassion for both sides, um, because I've been in both places. That's uh, that's major, right there. Um, can you go any farther back um, before thirteen years old to where you maybe felt as though you're not you're not good enough, like in that environment that you were in in New Jersey, um, with the schools that you went to, with your parents or anything? Can you? Because the the younger you you talked about root, and what we're trying to get is, uh, to is the root of this uh, limiting belief from the very beginning. So. It's just like a weed, if you will. If you don't pull it out by the root, then it's just going to keep coming back. And that one um, thought 
pattern, that one um, event that you think about again, or that um, you can that your mind can refer to again with the same trigger, can then make you have that type of relapse of thinking that old negative thought pattern. Well, if we if we wind all the way back, um, pre-internet, you know, pre. <laughs> Cell phones, there really was a world. Yeah, press it. <laughs> there really was a world. And presume, right? Um, and, you know, back then, the media, um, you know, and I'm talking television, I'm talking. Yeah. So, as, as a child, I grew up basically soaking up a lot of um, uh, assumptions that were being portrayed in advertising, in TV shows, in films, that basically reinforced this idea that somehow someone like me was less than because of the way that I looked and my race. Mm -hmm. And it was um, skin and, you know, let's say products that people were using. You'd have... Um, conditioners that were advertised and then obviously they weren't made for black hair and so magically when you use them it didn't produce the same results and so you know there were there were lots of negative reinforcing um, moments throughout my childhood and on the flip side we didn't have a lot of the amazing role models um, that we have today. So, mm -hmm. you know, all these people who we take for granted now, like an Oprah Winfrey or um, a lot of the film stars, music stars, people who um, are not just entertainers, but they own stuff, mm -hmm. right? They, they've gone into the hundreds of millions and the billion mark. Mm -hmm. um, that stuff didn't exist so readily to a child like me at that time. So I think that's where it started. You know, Boom. and I, I could say five, six. That's the one. That's the one right there. Thank you so much for digging a little deeper. Um, that's very important for yourself. And of course, uh, no worries. We'll be able to revisit that time when you were 13. But to start at the root is the most important thing that we need to do. All right. So now let's go ahead and get into it. You can go ahead and close your eyes and relax and let me know when you're ready for the process to drop your baggage. Okay. Awesome. Now, just imagine floating up above your timeline and float deeper and deeper and deeper into the past above that first event in which you felt as though I'm not good enough when you were just a little kid about five, six years old and hover above that little kid be the observer of that whole event. Let me know when you can see that little kid. Mm -hmm. All right. Now just stay right there, being the observer of the event, watching that little kid. Now, just ask your unconscious mind what it needs to learn from the event. The learning of which will allow you to let go of the emotions easily and effortlessly. Your unconscious mind can preserve the learnings so that if you need them in the future they'll be there just tell your unconscious mind to preserve the learnings what is something positive and empowering you can tell that little boy and everyone else involved in the events with the consciousness that you have today that will allow the emotions to evaporate like water on the concrete on a hot summer day 
And as you preserve these learnings, the emotions are starting to dissipate more and more until they're all gone. Just let me know when they're all gone. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Now, just imagine. Oh, wait a second. First of all, with your eyes closed and you uh, with you sitting above or you with you being above that little boy right now. Tell me. What is something that you learned from the event? I'd say that number one, that little boy had more than enough at the time and always did. That little boy was actually special and um, very gifted. Awesome. What is something that you can take from that event and carry forward with you into the future? I've always been enough. I've always been good enough. That's right. That's right. Now, just imagine floating up above your timeline and float deeper and deeper and deeper into the past above that above the dinosaurs during the prehistoric age. Let me know when you're above the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Now, as you're above the dinosaurs, flow deeper and deeper into space to where space in the atmosphere connects and imagine your timeline is the size of a fingernail. Let me know when you're there. Mm-hmm. Now, as you float there, weightless, just imagine floating right there, weightless, in space. And ask yourself now, where are the emotions? Tell me, are they there or have they disappeared now? Can't see them anymore. Awesome. Now, just imagine floating down inside the event, seeing through your own eyes as a little boy and check on the emotions. Tell me, are they there or have they disappeared now? They've disappeared. Awesome. Float back above the dinosaurs and then float into space to where space in the atmosphere connects. Let me know when you're there. I'm there. All right, listen closely, very closely. Float very, very high above your timeline above each and every event in which you felt as though I'm not good enough from birth until now in chronological order. Don't skip one event that has a charge on it. Preserve the learnings and let go of that limiting belief all the way back to now. Go. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? Mm, it's very powerful. <laughs> very efficient, yeah. Very efficient. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, let's go ahead and I'm going to do a test to see uh, what's uh, what's your mindset now. Do you smell bacon? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> yeah. That's an NLP, NLP technique as well to help okay. you change your state. Can you remember a time in the past in which you used to feel that old emotion and go back and notice if you can feel it or you may find that you cannot? 
or to rephrase, can you remember a time in the past in which you used to think that limiting belief and see if you can go back to that limiting belief or you may find that you cannot. No. Mm. Mm -hmm. I want you to go out into. I want you to imagine going out into the future, an unspecified time in the future in which, if the same thing would have happened in the past, you would have felt as though I'm not good enough. But it's the future now. So see if you can find that old limiting belief, or you may find that you cannot. No. Hmm. Mm. Congratulations. You just release a, a a limiting belief. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, for the people that haven't discovered uh, how this feels as of yet, please describe what you just went through. Mm. Um, it, it's very um, intense feeling of uh, going through... Uh, a lot of memories very quickly, mm -hmm. um, spaciousness, uh, distance away from maybe the, the, the drama of the individual situations and then feeling intuitively the bigger picture, I suppose. Mm. Um, and seeing the themes, the threads, where, where, it, where it's come from and then seeing it along a line. Mm -hmm. um, and most importantly, getting to a certain point where I could really see that it, it just isn't true. Yeah. And that's where that consciousness shifts happen when you're like, oh, this isn't true at all. And the themes and the bigger picture, that, that those are both uh, very like uh, good ways to describe it all. It's like when you're outside of the event, you can see everything that's going on as, as the observer in kind of like a um, very su suggest suggestive way. You know, mm. sub subject subjective way you know what i mean mm -hmm. to where you're just like oh okay i see that at that moment i felt this way because of this thread of thought patterns that i was thinking at the time it's just like this before and that before uh, that's how i experienced it it's, uh, and it sounds as though you experienced something similar yeah yeah absolutely i had an image of um basically each time being outside of my comfort zone and that being part of it that that you know basically um i was mistaking being outside of my comfort zone with not being good enough mm. because um being uncomfortable doesn't mean that i can't become very comfortable in wherever I want to, to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So whether it be high school and you're in a new, in a new environment um, and you feel as though you have a long way to go in order to catch up uh, to the people that were in your class or whether you're uh, getting the rejections, the, the you know, um, knows that you're bound to get in any business. Uh, those are all moments that are uncomfortable and you're seeing that it's not about you not being good enough but it's pretty much the process of, of doing anything that's either new or um, going into entrepreneurship, uh, whether you're an artist 
or somebody that's invested in real estate. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. I saw you had a couple of like visceral feelings of letting go a lot of, you know, breathing a lot of um, like taking in some new energy, you know, you know, the inhale. Yeah, is, yeah, it's yeah. like amazing feeling, man. You, you know, like, uh, can, can you describe that one? Yeah, I, I have this feeling of, of, of light. Mm-hmm. And so it's like breathing in a certain uh, bright, warm light, a relief, uh, letting go. Um, uh, this incredible um, bird's eye view away from um, the, the, what I have perceived to be the, the, the problem, mm-hmm. this kind of false truth, and then actually being present with the truth, which is that um, anyone who survives anything is pretty amazing, really. I mean, that's, that's all of us. So if, we, if we've managed to go from where we were to where we are now, mm-hmm. to be listening to this or to be you know, involved in it today, it's, um, it's a bit of a miracle. And so something about being so um, outside of the, the smallness and the, the, uh, that little voice, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of basically like realizing up there, there is no little voice because you can't even see the little voice. All you can see up there is the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The bigger picture is always what matters. You know, um, we get, we can get so stuck into stressful things uh, when we're like in it. You know, um, I always use the um, example of when you're having a disagreement with someone and you go to a friend. And when you're the person that's pissed off, you're like, I can't believe this happened. This person did this and this person did that because you're inside of it. But the friend, usually you want a good friend that can look at, you know, hear what you're saying and say, dude, it's not even that bad. It's like, mm. what, what this person might be going through this. And, you know, now you're, you know, you're, you're going through this because this happened, in, you know, in the past, you know, it's like that chill outside perspective, the bigger picture, if you will. You know, 100%. Mm. the um, how do you feel about the situations with the nose now for your real estate and you um, asking the investors, how do you feel about that now? Looking back upon it. In the bigger scheme of things, they're really not a big deal. And, and they're part of the process. Um, I think when, when I was taking that big a step backwards and, and observing um, of course, part of the observation is that, you know, for every no, then I also is remembering the yeses mm-hmm. and for all the dramas. And I don't know if I can, and I don't know if I will. The reality is that I did. Yeah. And so something about being away from the, uh, the, the, the small situations in that path allows you to see that and, and to be grateful, I suppose, just for how much goes right. Considering, you know, some of the bars that, that I've set for myself and other mm-hmm. people set for themselves, it's, it's, it's literally a miracle that, um, you know, if you reach 
30 or 40 or whatever your age is and and you know you, you feel like there are all these obstacles the, the reality is that you've gone through 364 obstacles per year <laughs> per decade to get to this point mm-hmm. um on top of the the, the successes wow I want to piggyback on what you said a little bit earlier, too, about how, you know, if you made it past adversities, then you deserve to, you know, you're good enough to, like, be here and do what you want to do. I think that one of the biggest adversities that we go through is just being born, you know, um, as far as, you know, just the whole journey of the sperm and, you know, making it through the complications of pregnancy sometimes and just, you know, making it here. I mean, that right there, just being a spirit on earth right here, we don't have to do necessarily anything to prove ourselves, but just Mm -hmm. you being like this human that is also, you know, being such a blessing to so many people that that's a, that really resonates to where you're good enough no matter what. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, man, so many. Beautifully put. Hmm? put. Thank mm. you. So many deep, so many uh, amazing lessons. Now um, I'm going to challenge you a bit. The challenge now is to inst- now make it to where the subconscious the sub where everything is instilled into your subconscious a little deeper. So next time that you may even have a, a thought of I'm not good enough. You make sure that you go even farther with something, you do something, but more intense, you know what I mean? So if you were planning on, you know, emailing 20 investors, now you email 40 or whatever the process is, you know what you see what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. then your subconscious mind is like, oh, he really thinks this. And then the trigger goes away even more. You see? Yeah. 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 So it's that thing of going even far, like pushing yourself even more when it's when it may be harder. But also with the work that you did just now, the, the trigger may go like may set off, but it's kind of, kind of like a blank to where it'll go off but you'll automatically remember, oh yeah, I am good enough because I've been through all these things before. Mm-hmm. I, that's how most of my uh, clients do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, I thank you so much for coming on to the podcast with me today. I appreciate it, right? No, my, my pleasure. And, th- and thank you. It's a very, very powerful experience for anyone who hasn't uh, been through it yet. Yeah, that's, uh, I hope everybody does experience. For all you guys out there that are listening, um, I'm always available. Just go to my website, charleswolfwork.com. Go to contact, hit me up. Or you can sign up for a session yourself and you can go ahead and experience this yourself. Or you can learn more at eliminatinginsecurities.com. And with that, yeah, we're going to get out of here. Can you give us one more uh, words of wisdom, Red? I mean, you've already given us so many more. What's like something that you may live by? Hmm. Mindset. Um, I'd say everyone deserves, on top of everything, to have to give themselves the opportunity to reprogram this stuff 
And, you know, there's so many negative beliefs in there um, that we've inherited, that we've taken on board from um, media or from just something someone did or said or didn't do or didn't say. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is none of it is actually true. What's true is what I or you choose to believe in. And so it's that thing of understanding the impact that my own mindset can have on um, how things play out. And, you know, um, if you believe it's possible, then it is. Mm -hmm. Amen. Wow. That is huge. Very good. Oh my gosh. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just thank you so much again, Rhett. And uh, you guys are awesome out there for making it this far into the podcast where we talk to people that are dope that can give you hope and help you cope and teach you a technique that can help you cope. I love you all out there. Take care of yourself and take care of one another. Peace. (laughs) Peace.